Last week, Pastor Steve brought us a message from John chapter 4, extending the text he used several weeks ago around the story of the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus met and to whom he ministered. Pastor Steve gave us three lines of thought to follow as we went through the sacred text and following the WOF acronym, he led us to consider one, the witness of faith, two, the will of the Father, and three, the whiteness of the fields. In John 4, Jesus gave an example of what it is to offer the salvation message to anyone we encounter, no matter where they may be in their lives, and trust him to use the power of the message of the gospel to spread to others. We don't know the backgrounds of people and the hearts of people like Jesus, so we must always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have within. Compared to truly loving someone, judging and condemning are easy. Compared to truly loving someone, judging and condemning are easy, and Jesus never took the easy route. Two weeks ago in our Exodus series, we looked together at Exodus chapter 11. We were able to cover the entire chapter because it is only 10 verses long. In those 10 verses, we saw God beginning to reveal his final judgment on Pharaoh in Egypt with special attention paid to his miraculous preservation of Israel. God knew Pharaoh would continue to rebel against his command to let his people go. So, through Moses, he gave his final warning to Pharaoh and his continued encouragement to the people through Moses and Aaron. The primary principle we considered was this. The final judgment that must be faced by all who despise God's message of deliverance is death. Every person will fear the Lord in one of two ways, judgment or redemption. Those that choose redemption will be provided a way, the way. And that way is through the cross of Christ and his blood shed. It is a wise man who chooses redemption. And that brings us into today's message, which we will take from Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to actually try to cover the first 20 verses. And I know it's a lot. And I'm going to, I'm going to microwave preach this morning. And that means you're going to have to listen fast. You're going to have to listen at the speed of light. And the reason I'm doing that, I, I could have cut the message off at a, a little earlier and, and, and done uh, sort of the second half of the message in another time. But the first... And second halves of my message are so linked in the lives of every person that I, I didn't want to do a disservice by separating it. And, and what, my, what I mean by that is justification, which happens at the moment you believe, is so linked to sanctification, which is the work of Christ through us from that point forward that I didn't want to stop in the middle of that message. It, it would feel a little bit like they weren't as tied together as I wanted. So I'm, I'm begging you to listen with fast ears, and I'm going to preach fast. And um, I've, if you haven't got an outline in front of you, I did put an outline. You'll see how 
intricate it is in your outlines, in your bulletins, but uh, just be prepared to listen fast. That's all I can say. And nothing I'm going to say is going to be so profound you'll have to think about it a lot. Uh, so that's, that's good. Anyway, to begin with, let's read Exodus chapter 12 and the first 20 verses. Exodus chapter 12 and the first 20 verses. This is the word of God. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month, at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat 
unleavened bread. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider these verses this morning, we pray that your spirit would guide our hearts and our minds into its truth and that your spirit would work in our lives that we might apply this truth and so be a light reflecting the glory of God to the world. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think we can even begin to understand the density of the gospel truth in these few verses. The New Testament writers allude to the Passover more than any other Old Testament picture of salvation in Christ. And God hammers the point home when Jesus is crucified on the very day and at the very time that Jews were sacrificing their Passover lambs. Thankfully, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are themes that surface repeatedly in Exodus, so we don't have to try and discuss all of the details today, and I won't even get close. I know some of you will come up to me afterwards, why didn't you talk about uh, being boiled in water, and why didn't you talk about not eating it raw? Well, I would love to have, but we'll get there, we will. Um, so we don't have to get all into all the details today, but as we are considering this passage, there are three general themes that I don't want to stray too far from. The first is the universality of condemnation. All the people, Israelite and Egyptian alike, begin from a point of condemnation. They all stand condemned already. It is the blood of the Lamb that delivers them from judgment and death. Number two, the great truth of substitution. The lamb dies in the place of the firstborn. Any gospel message that fails to account for the substitutionary aspect of Christ, Christ's atonement seems to me to be no gospel at all. And number three, the appropriation or application of the blood. The blood of the lamb had to be applied to accomplish salvation. Christ's blood is universal in that it is available to all, but not all apply the blood. By faith, the blood of Christ is applied to the life of a believer, and at that moment, salvation is effected. In contrast to biblical truth, all religions outside of Christianity say that all people begin life in safety and purity. But those that mark their house by some evil will eventually be condemned. It is Christianity alone that says all people begin condemned, but those that mark their house by the blood of the Lamb will be saved. So all religions outside of Christianity flip salvation on its head. And that's a good way to determine whether you're hearing truth or not. In verses 1 through 6, the families were starting new with a lamb. Up to this point in Exodus, the Hebrews have been observers. They have heard the word of the Lord through Moses and Aaron, but their suffering continued. They have also witnessed the unmatched power of Jehovah, 
God of Israel, as he judged Pharaoh and Egypt and mercifully spared them. But now, for the very first time, they are commanded to get involved. I'm sure at this point there was a certain sense that they were on the very cusp of deliverance from their slavery. God asked them to make this month the beginning of their months. The coming deliverance from Egypt was such a significant act that God told the children of Israel to rebuild their year around this event. Whereas the Israelites formerly began the new year in September and October, right after the autumn harvest, the new year would now start with the month of their redemption from Egypt in the spring, which was in March or April. Interestingly, the Hebrews took this new beginning of months only as it referred to religious rites. In everything else, they retained the old new year, old new year. To this day, Jewish people celebrate their New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah, on the seventh month of the religious year in September, October, which they claim to be dated from the time of cre the creation of the world. Every household was to have a lamb. On the 10th of this first month, each family was to take a lamb, and the lamb was to live with the family for three days until Passover on the 14th day. The Hebrew word for lamb is a general word in this passage, and it can either mean sheep or goat, male or female, and of any age. This is why Moses carefully defined in the details in the following verses. The direction to select the lamb ahead of time before it was offered was intended to be sure that due care in the preparation and the inspection was taken of this lamb. I know for a fact, if my family took in a lamb for three days and named him Pablo <laughs> and took care of it and fed it and groomed it to be sure it was without fault or blemish there are those of us, and I'm not going to name names, there are those of us living there that just might get somewhat attached to that lamb. And perhaps this was part of the sacrificial process. The family was to sacrifice something that was precious. Not just one of many out of the flock, but the unique chosen lamb held more closely. You'll also notice in verse 4 of our text that God makes provision if the household is too small for the lamb. In this case, others from another household, maybe that was too large for one lamb, could join the smaller family, or two or more smaller families could join together according to the number of the persons, it says. The reasoning was that the Jewish people were to make sure there were not too few, too few people so that there would be much left uneaten, but there must also not be too many people, so that each person might only have a tiny portion, not enough to satisfy their hunger. There was to be no excess, and there was to be no lack. And the lamb was to be without blemish. This sacrifice to the Lord 
had to be as perfect as a lamb could be. This was standard for any sacrifice to the Lord, but this is the first mention of this requirement in the scriptures. And this requirement also gains significance in our minds when we recall the words of John the Baptist when he first encountered Christ at the Jordan River. Behold, the Lamb of God that God has chosen who takes away the sin of the world. Let's look at some of these sacrificial instructions that God gives through Moses. God instructed that the lamb would be slain at twilight. The King James reads, in the evening. The literal reading from the original Hebrew is between the two evenings. And there's been a lot of debate over the centuries about what this phrase means. Some have said that it means between noon because that's when the sun starts going down and then when it disappeared over the horizon. Others have said between when it disappears over the horizon and when it's full dark. In any case, um, if it's between noon and full dark, this would place the death of Christ, which occurred at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, according to Matthew 27, verse 46, between the two evenings. Others have said that is between sunset and complete darkness, and there are other views. But I like what 17th century theologian John Trapp says because it is simple and I can understand it. He says this, Christ came in the evening of the world, in the last hour, as indicated in 1 John 2.18, when all lay buried in darkness, in the eventide of our sin and death in the fullness of time. For those who take the scripture seriously, there can be no doubt that the Passover of the Lord was intentionally pointing forward to the death of Christ. What did they do after they slayed the lamb? Verses 7 through 11. Once the lamb was chosen, tried, and slain, Israel was given specific instructions on what was to be done with the blood and the body. Let's consider this, always keeping in mind this story in the light of the gospel. First of all, the blood. The blood of the lamb was not to be spilled on the ground, to be trodden underfoot, so to speak. Before the Passover lamb could be eaten, its blood had to be applied around the doorway of the home to the top and to, the, and to both the doorposts, not on the threshold, of course, where it may be trod upon. The Hebrews were to use hyssop to apply the blood. Hyssop was a plant God instructed the Israelites to use many times in the years to come and always with the idea of cleansing, which makes its use in applying blood even more um, significant. We don't think of cleansing by splattering blood on something, so it means more than just making something physically clean here. But I think the psalmist has captured this idea beautifully in Psalm 51, verse 7. He writes, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Another passage 
to possibly consider in this regard is the Gospel of John, who always had the Passover in the front of his mind as he was writing his Gospel. And chapter 19, verses 29 and 30. At this point, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he has just said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Every sin was paid for. What were they to do with the flesh? They were told what to do with the blood. What were they to do with the flesh? After the blood was applied, the lamb could now be eaten. But only if it had been roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs accompanying the meal. We'll consider some of that more later. Being saved by its blood, and this is, this is the part of this story that impacted me so deeply this week. Being saved by its blood, the believing household sat down and fed upon the lamb whose blood had saved them. Just think about that for a week like I've, I've done. The impact is, is it's unreal. Why the same animal? They could have done two lambs, sacrificed the one and ate the other. No, that is not what God instructed. C.H. Spurgeon said in one of his sermons on this passage, the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, was not killed in order to be looked at only, but to be eaten. And our Lord Jesus Christ has not been slain merely that we may hear about him and talk about him and think about him, but that we may feed on him. And if that thought is distasteful to you, you are not alone. Let's read from John chapter 6 later on in the chapter. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning 
who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Good old Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So much in that passage. We'll get there one day. I'll let you consider what he says there. There were to be no leftovers. The Passover lamb had to be eaten completely. A family had to totally consume the sacrifice. The idea behind eating it all was that you had to take it all right then and not to store it up for later rescue. It was for right then, right now. And you had to receive all of it without thinking you could take a bit and then maybe come back to it later if it pleased you. That's the whole idea behind God saying, eat it in haste. The flesh of the lamb must not begin the process of corruption. Anything that was left had to be burned to ashes in the fire. And they had to eat it prepared to go. The Passover lamb had to be eaten in faith, trusting that the deliverance promised to Israel was at hand. The Israelites were to be dressed to go at any moment. The fact that they did not know exactly when the call would come was no excuse for a lack of preparation. That brings us to verse 12 and 13, the protection of the blood. In, ver in those two verses of today's passage, God describes how he will come down to Egypt and execute judgment and show mercy. When I see the blood, he says, I will pass over you. For Israel to be spared the death of the firstborn, they had to apply the blood just as God said they should. The blood of the lamb was essential to what God required. In some churches today, it has become distasteful and even taboo to mention the blood of the Lamb in speech or in song. For example, the United Church of Canada has removed all reference to blood atonement from their hymnals, following the examples of several other denominations. In this church, we unashamedly preach and sing the blood of Jesus. And my prayer is that we always do. For without the blood of Christ, there is no atonement, no salvation, and no forgiveness. A bloodless gospel is no gospel at all. The firstborn is struck, or are struck. God regarded Israel as his firstborn, as we read back in chapter 3 of Exodus. Egypt had enslaved, abused, and even put to death 
those God considered his firstborn. Now, God required the firstborn of Egypt as penalty and judgment, with the only substitution being the Passover lamb. A word of encouragement to those that have gone through suffering in this world at the hands of the ungodly. God sees and God hears. God purchased you by the blood of Christ, and he will not forever endure the oppression, abuse, and enslavement of those that are his. Rest, knowing the blood of Christ marks you as his, destined in hope for eternal deliverance. Beginning in verse 14, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There are two distinct but related events taking place in today's text. The first is the meal of the Passover lamb, served with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. But this is only the beginning or the first day of a larger feast or a memorial celebration or a convocation, during which for a week, unleavened bread was eaten in Hebrew homes. In fact, God instructed the Hebrews that no leaven should be found in their homes during this time. So, Passover began on the 10th with the selection of the lamb. On the 14th, they ate the Passover lamb, and this was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then, for the next seven days, until the 21st, they ate only unleavened bread. The unleavened bread signified in part the state of readiness the Hebrews must be in should the call come for them to depart. But we see in the New Testament that leaven is also a picture or a type of sin. And so, as we draw together these two ideas and tie them together, we come to 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. So this idea of haste and this idea of forgiveness of sin or cleansing. Here's what John writes. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Here's the key. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. See how both ideas are tied together? The idea of ultimate deliverance and the idea of purification from sin. Jesus Christ in his teachings and Paul in his writings had quite a bit to say about spiritual leaven. We don't have time to go through all the passages. We find those teachings, but let me summarize it as best I can. Christ told his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which he said very plainly was their doctrine or their teachings. Because of their pervasive nature, mixing and spreading through the whole lump, he called hypocrisy leaven and even warned that there is leaven in the kingdom of God as it spreads and grows. Paul speaks of the leaven of pride, 
which infects the whole lump. He tells us to purge out the old leaven in a passage in 1 Corinthians 5 where he calls Christ our Passover. He also refers to malice and wickedness as leaven in contrast to sincerity and truth, which are unleavened. Men should be purged from error and pride and malice and hypocrisy, which are called and compared to leaven. There is to be no spiritual leaven to be found in the life of the Christian. The doorposts and lintel of whose heart has been sprinkled with the blood of Christ for deliverance from slavery and death. Here is where the traditional practice of the Jews, I think, can be helpful. And they still do this to to this day. Before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Jewish children inspect every inch of their home to make sure no leaven is to be found anywhere. The children then receive a blessing for the leaven that they find and put out of the home. So let's look at, we've already done some of it, but let's look at some typology in this passage. Because the New Testament uses the Passover frequently as a type of Christ and his atoning work, I want to conclude today's message with some exhortation from the beautiful Passover narrative that we just read in Exodus 12. First of all, the Paschal Lamb was a type. Christ is our Passover, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.7. He couldn't have been more plain. It was to be a lamb, and Christ is the Lamb of God. It was to be a male of the first year in its prime. Christ offered up himself in the prime of his days. It denotes the strength and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus on whom our sin was laid. The lamb was to be without blemish, signifying the purity of the Lord Jesus. A lamb without spot, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.19. It was to be slain and roasted with fire, representing the unequaled sufferings of the Lord Jesus, even unto death on the cross, bearing God's wrath for our sin. Not a bone of it must be broken, it says in verse 46 of chapter 12, which is expressly said to be fulfilled in Christ when John writes his gospel, chapter 19, verses 33 and 36. Furthermore, the sprinkling of the blood was a type that the household might be spared from death, it was not enough that the blood of the lamb was shed, but it must be sprinkled, demonstrating the application of the merit of Christ's death to our account by the Holy Spirit through faith. The blood sprinkled on the doorposts and lintel was a means of the preservation of the Israelites from the death of the firstborn. The blood of Christ sprinkled upon our self will be our protection from the wrath of God, the curse of the law, and the damnation of eternal hell. Furthermore, the eating of the lamb 
was a type. It is a type of our sustenance in and complete reliance on Christ. The Paschal Lamb was slain not to be looked upon only, as we said earlier, but to be fed upon. So we must, by faith, make Christ ours, as we make ours that which we eat. And we must receive spiritual strength and nourishment from him, as from our food, and have delight in him as we have delight in eating and drinking when we are hungry and thirsty. It was all to be eaten. We receive with thanksgiving not only the crown of Christ, but the cross of Christ as well. It was to be eaten with bitter herbs, just as the book was sweet in the mouth and bitter in the stomach for Ezekiel and John. We remember the bitterness of our bondage and we remember Christ's suffering in our place. It was to be eaten in readiness to depart for anyone who has this hope within them purifies himself. When we feed upon Christ by faith, we must set loose the world and all things in it. Finally, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a type. Having received Jesus as Lord, we keep a feast in joy, continually delighting ourselves in Christ Jesus. If true believers do not have a continual feast, it is their own fault. And it must be a feast of unleavened bread, kept in love, without the leaven of sin, but in purity. We keep the feast of a holy life to the honor of Christ. It was to be an ordinance forever. As long as we live, we must continue feeding upon Christ and rejoicing in him always with thankfulness for the great things he has done for us. And the eating, by the way, remember, comes after the application of the blood. So what does this mean for us in the six days coming up before we meet again here? According to the Passover narrative in Exodus 12 and following, saving faith has three elements, knowledge, assent, and trust. Let's have a brief look at each of these and then we'll close. The Hebrew people had to have intelligent knowledge of God's requirements. Although the Hebrews needed to hear and understand the message of redemption through Moses, it wasn't the announcement of Moses which made the blood of a slain lamb the sign of deliverance from the plague, but it was the appointment of God himself. The essential truth taught here is that it isn't the announcement of the crucifixion of Christ that could atone for sin. It was the crucifixion itself, the blood shed that could deliver from sin. But we need to hear and we need to understand the gospel to respond to it. And God, knowing that we're not all that smart, made it easy enough to understand from the oldest to the youngest. The shed blood needed to be applied. 
It was not merely the shedding of the Lamb's blood which should avail to save, but the sprinkling of it on the door. Every soul must accept atonement on God's terms. The blood must first be shed to the availability of all, but then each one must apply the blood for him or herself. We are not universalists here. Not everyone is saved and gets to enter heaven. Even though Christ's blood has been shed for all, some will and some have despised his sacrifice and, uh, and failed to apply the blood to their own hearts and thereby fall under the condemnation and the wrath of God. Salvation was not secured by how those in the house felt, but whether the blood was applied. I hope it is a comfort to you to know that God does not go over the past life of those that come to him as if he is trying to discover their sins, whether great or small, when once they plead the blood of Christ. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Divine justice looks only upon the blood of Christ applied by faith, which shows substitution and then obedience. There is only one way to salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, that means there are many ways to despise this salvation. First way, don't pick a lamb. We see a lot of that. People that just don't care. It's not that they openly, loudly rebel against the truth of the gospel. They simply don't care. They're too busy. They're having fun. They're distracted. They think they're going to live forever because they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. They don't care. So they've rejected salvation by not even picking a lamb. The second thing you can do is pick a blemished lamb. Find someone other than Christ for salvation. Maybe even your spouse. Maybe Buddha. Maybe, maybe some other religious system. So they'll say, yeah, I'll pick a lamb, like God said, but they find some blemished lamb with a broken leg and, and a twisted front tooth or something. I don't know. But they pick a blemished lamb. That also does not lead to salvation. There is no other way than Christ. Number three, they could pick an unblemished lamb, but they don't slay it. The message of the gospel is too bloody. Yeah, we believe in Christ, wonderful person and a great teacher, but all this talk about blood and sacrifice, that's not for me. Let, let's talk about love and kindness and let's just leave all that blood talk out of it that's another way to despise salvation pick an unblemished lamb but don't slay it another way slay the unblemished lamb 
But don't put the blood on the doorposts as the barrier between you and Egypt, between you and the world. Yeah, I believe the gospel. Yeah, I think Christ lived. And yeah, I think he was the son of God. And yeah, he probably died. And we can talk about the blood. But you know what? It's not for me. It's not for me. I've, I've got too many. I've got other things that, that I need to take care of. That, uh, Yeah, I've heard the message my whole life. I grew up in the church. But you know what? It's not for me. Maybe it's good for you. It's not for me. And thereby despise the salvation of Christ. There's more. I could go on and on, but those are the obvious examples. We must obey God's instructions for atonement. That is, Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, and we must receive that atonement by faith. And then walk in the truth of that salvation. I'll close with a quote from F.B. Meyer. The inmate of the house did not see the sprinkled blood. It was not necessary to be always going forth to look at it. It was clearly not a matter for his emotion or his intelligence. It was an accomplished fact, and it was enough for God to see it. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Abide thou in Christ. It is not necessary to try to understand or feel. Just be quiet and trust the finished work and the sworn promise of God. He hath said, Whosoever believeth shall not perish. The lamb slain is in the middle of the throne. It is enough. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the unmatched power of the message of the gospel. And we see the beauty of it in this terrible but awesome Passover that you initiated so long ago. Thank you that you have made the gospel message so clear. Thank you that you have not left anything out. This morning, as we have looked at some of the details of how the Passover points each one of us to Christ, my heart's cry to use this morning is that none of us, not a person in this room, would despise the salvation that is found in Christ's atoning work on the cross. Some of us may have never picked a lamb. Some of us may have picked a blemished lamb, and some of us may have picked an unblemished lamb and never slayed it. Some of us have done all of that, but never applied it to our own lives. And I ask that by your spirit, you would convict each one and, and move in the hearts of each one to apply the blood of Christ to the doorposts and lintel of their heart and thereby move into the home, the safety, the eternal safety of that home and begin to feast on the life of Christ day by day by day. And that we would, as those that have trusted Christ, remove all leaven, remove all sin, impurity from our lives by your grace. We thank you for this 
powerful message, this powerful text, and ask that you would keep it in the forefronts of our minds every moment of this upcoming week as we walk in the truth of your word, or at least attempt to do so by the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.